Kia ora koutou. Welcome and thanks for joining us again. I'm recording this track at the Auckland Central Library where we've got a little bit of building work happening today. So if you hear some noise in the background, that's most likely what it will be. We hope you're enjoying getting back to the city's libraries and adjusting to the new environment. A time of unprecedented and often unsettling change. Here in our biggest city, Auckland, economic powerhouse and largest population centre, we're currently engaged in a difficult task, as is the country, of recalibrating for the new environment. While we as citizens of Auckland face this collective challenge, we are also presented with an unusual opportunity, a chance to decide what the next steps in the city's journey will be. The following podcasts have been drawn from across our collection and each reflects on an aspect of Tamaki Makoto Auckland's journey to date as we look toward the stories yet to be told. In 1900, Auckland was home to 500 gas lamps and 50,000 people. A city in name if not yet in earnest, it was barely past its frontier beginnings. A canyon of robust stone buildings now hinted at permanence astride a lumpy isthmus. Lapped by the tides of two large harbours, this unpretentious outpost of Britain remained wedded more to nature than man. So begins our first track taken from the popular Books and Beyond series, hosted by Karen, who here is quoting from Morris Shadbolt's Dove on the Waters, and Louisa, who celebrate Auckland's anniversary with poems, historical recollections, and scenes from classic and contemporary literature, which pay tribute to our beautiful city. Henare Martini Tehuihui praises the well-behaved European population of Auckland in the next track. Tihuihui was an influential young rangatira and closely related to Tiraupraha, to whom he is writing here. He was so impressed by the British monarchy, which inspired him to establish a similar system of governance for Māori in Aotearoa. Such attempts were frustrated by events such as the mid-century Waikato Wars, sorely testing Tihuihui's idealism and striving for peace among his people. The track initially appeared as part of the Kanaki series, which presented a sample of letters written to Sir George Grey and his contemporaries in Te Reo Māori. Also seeking harmony in settler New Zealand was Sarah Mayhew, wife of the surveyor Felton Mayhew, who arrived at the Waitemata Harbour in 1840 to assist her husband in selecting a site for the capital of Aotearoa, New Zealand. The couple soon moved into a tent in the area we now call Britomart. In a box beside the tent was what Sarah refers to in her diary as my devoted piano. In this track from our 2019 spring concert series, Dr Polly Sussex gave us a glimpse of recreational music and pioneering life in early Auckland, using examples from the musical scrapbooks of the family of early missionary Henry Williams. Now held at Auckland Libraries, these scrapbooks of hand-copied music contain fine examples of the sort of music played. Not many families had grand pianos at that time, so the practical second best was the square pianoforte on which Dr Sussex performed. (music) 
Far from Shedbolt's description of Auckland as a canyon of robust stone buildings which hindered at permanence, Auckland's centre of gleaming skyscrapers and bustling footpaths is now the busy hub of what Hugh Dickey labels our primate city. In his talk from our 2019 Heritage Talk series, Hugh presented a fresh perspective on the growth of our towns and cities, revealing a story behind the statistics. A significant part of Auckland's story of growth is migration, both domestic and international. Anita Jean Hart's experience is one common to many Māori who became part of the urban drift from rural New Zealand to the cities during the early to mid-20th century, largely in search of employment. Hart worked in the cannery department at Westfield Freezing Works, a large employer which was based alongside the Southern Railway Line in the Otahuhu. The works was one of many employers which provided a surrogate community for people displaced from Papakainga to the melting pot of the city. She also lived for a time at Camp Bun, a transit camp for people waiting on state houses to be built. And we'll have a talk on the transit camps later in the year in our Heritage Talks series. Dorothy Butler was also looking for a home, a play centre for the young people of Birkenhead. Told by the all-male local council she could have an old tin sports shed as she moved it, she recalls of the experience, I can remember baking hot scones for all these dripping rats of men. Not one to take the heat off a task, she jumped at the opportunity when an old home set for demolition appeared to be the perfect prize. Her persistence eventually saw success in creating a place that the children could call their own. Says Dorothy, I mean, if you look back on your life, you see it as a series of strong women ultimately getting what they want. Listen to her first-hand account in a track which originally featured as part of the suffrage exhibition Wahini Take Action. Women were often on the front line of calls for action and change, as further illustrated by Elizabeth McRae's recollection of His Majesty's Theatre's demolition in the early hours of a January morning in 1988. The theatre, alongside the Mercury off Karangahapi Road, were long-time homes to many local Auckland theatre productions and had become a beloved part of the city's cultural scene. Listen to Elizabeth talk about Auckland's theatrical scene and the protest in a track from our series which accompanied 2019's Curtains Up exhibition. Many of Auckland's oldest buildings can be found in the city's suburbs, where change is often, though not always, at a more gradual pace. You may be living in one yourself. If you've ever been curious about the history of your home, or indeed any older building, our series on researching your property is full of potential pathways to find out the stories behind your brick walls. The track selected here focuses particularly on the services offered by Auckland Council's Heritage Unit. You can find the complete series in our Heritage Talks 2020 playlist. And in our final selected track, University of Auckland student Isabella Winsley interrogates the symbolism of Maunga One Tree Hill. Her research was conducted as the result of a summer scholarship awarded by the university and supported by the Auckland History Initiative. The obelisk which stands atop the hill is, she says, a complicated monument that can and does communicate different messages. Dictating exactly what message is intended would always be silencing the voice of another. Even the most identifiable spaces so closely linked to Auckland are not really always ours, and sometimes the use of them can be outside of our control.
We hope you enjoy these stories of Tamaki Makoto, Auckland. Remind us that while we are shaped by our history, our environment is ever-changing and part of a conversation in which we can all participate. What messages would we want our city to say about us? Haramai Titahi Ahua. <laughs>